Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go with Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST. On Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we appreciate you the same. We come to you today with a little bit of sadness as the Knicks got routed in five games against the Atlanta Hawks. Some argue maybe the Knicks could have got game one. Some argue the Knicks shouldn't have got game two. With all that said, it was a tough look for the New York Knicks in the playoffs. Looking at the big picture, however, still a great success for this basketball team this season. We're going to get into all that and more with the New York Knicks, plus some baseball talk because we're getting into the thick of it in Major League Baseball. So that means we're talking Mets, we're talking Yankees, and that means our guy, Andrew Kalanya, is here to do it with us. What's up, brother? How's it going? Uh, ready, ready to break down some some NBA. Ready to break down some MLB. And uh, you know, this is this is usually the part of the podcast where I would say something funny, but uh, the Yankees just ran into the twenty MLB leading twenty ninth out on the bases before. Oh god! And it's just like it's it's just sucking all the all the fun and uh, quippiness I I had inside of me at the moment. So no 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 fun talk to to start it off for me. No random sports topic, not even with the NHL playoffs going on. Nothing about maybe some I don't even know. Usually you always go something. Now I'm thrown off as well. Uh, it's just it's it's tough. It's tough. The, the Yankees just, you know, they're they're sucking the fun out of me yeah. at the moment. But so, so It's yeah. a, it's a tough one on all fronts. I mean, maybe except for the Mets who have won, I believe 5 out of 6 here. Mm-hmm. And despite, you know, the offense has woken up in the past week or so. Um but despite all the injuries, despite all that stuff, the Yank, uh, the Mets are playing well enough to be now five, at least five games above 500, maybe six now. I kind of forget. Uh, other than that, like you said, Yankees disappointing on many facets. And then the Knicks, despite this season being a huge success, despite all of the positives that we can look at with what the draft pick of Emmanuel quickly was, even how good Obi Toppin looked in the playoffs and at the end of the season, Obviously, the all-NBA season of Julius Randle, the renaissance of Derrick Rose, which is just awesome. And all these things are great. R.J. Barrett taking a step. With all that, you leave that series with a bad taste in your mouth, and it's not one-to-one. This is not a one-to-one analogy, but we saw it with teams like the Milwaukee Bucks last year and the Los Angeles Clippers last year who lost these series where they were expected to win, where they were expected to put up a bigger fight. And we came into this series and no, I mean, into this next season and nobody cared about them. Nobody talked about them. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there's two different ways a team can respond to that. You can be like the Clippers who for most of the season were kind of just, you know, putzing around. They were shooting the ball really well, but no one really cared. Are they ready to go in the playoffs? Do they know who they are? I don't know. Now they got to hurt Luka Doncic. They might, win a first round series. The Bucks put their head down. They added to their team. They got more talent and they just routed the Heat who beat them last year. And that's kind of the two ways you can go. You either 
just put your head down and keep going, or you kind of float in this space of being unsure of who you are. So if you're the New York Knicks, it's absolutely imperative to not panic and make a out-of-line decision, giving somebody the max who doesn't deserve it. But it's also important to not sit on your hands and do nothing because if you think about running this exact team back out there or more or less this exact team back out there, it's hard to get very excited after we so clearly saw what their ceiling just was against the Atlanta Hawks. Now, I tried to be upfront about this the whole time. I tried to be honest here as a Knicks fan and a guy who hosts a podcast. Uh, and try, I try to be objective. I try not to t- keep my Knicks fan hat on as much as possible. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that sucks. Sometimes I don't even like to say what I'm saying, but it's how I feel. And this entire time leading up to the series, I was saying this is not the Hawks team the Knicks beat three times this season. It's not the same team. We got Bogdan Bogdanovich, who came back and was on fire. He didn't play much and didn't play well against the Knicks in the regular season. He changes the dynamic of that whole team, especially on offense. Same with Danilo Gallinari. DeAndre Hunter was back and looking healthy. And all in all, it comes down to Trey Young not just being this long-shot shooter, not being a guy who just hunts assists, He became a true leading point guard in this series, perhaps for the first time in his career. So for many negatives you can point at Trey Young over the course of his career, I would agree with most of them. But after watching this series, despite how much hate you might have for him in your heart as a Knicks fan and as a New Yorker, how badly you want him to shave his head or how badly you hate when he flops into fouls and gets all the bogus calls, That dude can ball, and he cooked the Knicks for five games in a row. He might have had one off-ish game, but he cooked the Knicks, and he let them know on his way out, giving the bow, shushing the crowd, giving a kiss to the crowd. And with all that hate, with all that disappointment, in my opinion, Andrew, you have to tip your cap to that team because you can be pissed off that they showed you up, but when you look at them, you have to see a more talented roster with more high-end players and more cohesion and rhythm and flow on the offensive end, which was the downfall of the Knicks when they just could not get buckets consistently. No, and that and that's got to be the number one, you know, uh, you know, target in the offseason. It's just guys who can create their own shot and guys who can, you know, just just score. And and it was so apparent. And it was so frustrating to watch just the inability. Uh, the ball just being passed around and just nobody being able to just create offense on their, on their own. So it's, it was a frustrating, um, it was a frustrating series for sure. And, you know, Trey Young, just like, Oh my God, it, I, I, I can't remember a time of someone just utterly dominating the Knicks in the playoffs. Like, but like, it, it's a, this is going to be a really stupid comparison, but like, I remember Jordan just like, destroying the Knicks in the, in like the playoffs. It's just someone just looking, a team just looking so helpless against one player. It just like that they're obviously not on, on the same level, but that, that, that's just, that was like the first like instant that came to my mind. But I mean, it's obviously it's been that long since like the Knicks made, you know, any kind of playoff run. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess the reference still it kind of holds up. I don't think the analogy is as ridiculous as you say, just strictly from the offensive standpoint, because yeah, it's a different game. A, right? The Jordan game and that Knicks team that played against Jordan was just completely different game of basketball. So much more physical, a lot more bumping, a lot more, you know, paint action and fouls and whatnot and dirty, dirtier types of fouls. 
now Trey Young, you know, he he sends a little pump fake or he takes a step and you get a little too close and he throws his body into you and he gets it to the free throw line and he lives on the free throw line. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating, but that's how they call the game and that's how he takes advantage of it and uses his smaller size to his advantage. Whereas if he was playing when Jordan was playing, my guy would be getting knocked on his ass. It's a completely different game. Absolutely. The way he controls the game, though, the way he actually was willingly moving the ball and trusting his teammates, he really is that dude. I mean, I, I want to hate him, and when I see him shush the New York crowd, it hurts, and I want to boo him, and I want to do all these things but being here on this podcast talking about basketball as much as we do I've hated on his game for years because he wasn't doing what he just did to the Knicks he wasn't trusting his teammates he was taking too many 30 foot shots even though he makes a bunch he was hunting assists not just moving the ball with rhythm and flow in the offense and now that he trusts his teammates and he's got good teammates around him this offense is no joke and I don't want to spend a ton of time on the Hawks but we look at the Philadelphia 76ers who might have a, a injured Joel Embiid who might be out for one, two, or three games, who knows, of this next series. I mean, hey, if Trey Young is doing what he did to the Knicks, which will be much harder because of the top-end defensive talent on the Sixers, if he's getting in the paint like he was, I'll be damned if this isn't a close series. Like, this is how good that team is, and we all, as Knicks fans, we're kind of turning a blind eye just a little bit saying, yo, we smoked them in the regular season. We beat them three times. Randall went off against this team. Well, hey, this team we just saw for five games has Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan, Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, all playing strong defense. John Collins, all playing strong defense, making Julius Randall's life hell because that's the next conversation we're going to get to on the Knicks front. But this Hawks team is not joking around, and they really put the Knicks out. Uh, Andrew... You're not as, you know, in tune with NBA league-wide stuff, right? It's not your right. uh, your your expertise sport. It's not your number one sport to follow. When you kind of just took a, a a broad perspective of friends and Twitter and whatnot going into the series and then as this series went on, what vibe did you get from Knicks fans and where do you think they missed? As just as a qual- I think you're a quality fan in ger- in general. As a quality fan, what what happened to Knicks fans in this run? Because I think there was some ups and downs there that doesn't really bode well for the Knicks fan base exactly. Well, you know, obviously people went into the series, you know, again, thinking about their record uh, versus them in the regular season. So everyone came in, you know, pretty cocky. And then, uh, man, they just, they came out so, they came out so flat. They came out so flat in the, in the first game. And then again, like you said uh, earlier, they were kind of, they were very lucky, I think, to win the second game of the series. And then as it, as it gone on, uh, the, the fan base, just like, uh, I feel like they over, they overestimated the talent of the team. And, I, and if I allow me to make a, a baseball analogy here, it was kind of very similar. Please do to how Yankees fans reacted in kind of 2017 when the Yankees who you didn't have expectations for, you know, the team going into the season and, you know, they made a, you know, a very deep playoff run. And, but, you know, so you feel, you feel like the team's better than it is, but uh, if you remember like um, Chase Headley was the DH in 2017, like they had no offense and they were able to, you know, they they came down wire wire to the Astros, but they felt short. So like, 
you feel disappointment. Uh, so you feel happy about the team, um, but like the especially at, so soon after at a, after you know the series ended, you you know feel you feel the bitterness and you feel, you know, maybe your team wasn't as good as as you originally thought it would as they were. Um, so it's tough. It's really tough. Um, you know, I think that's why so, it's important to have an outside perspective or somebody from the outside kind of talk you off the ledge. And I think that's why Alex's not here tonight because he, you know, mm-hmm. he is, he's a fan's fan. He really is. And I'm not, I'm not a fan's fan. And Alec always shits on me for that fact, right? Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not out here booing. I'm not out here trying to overreact. And I'm not saying Alex like a you know, crazy overreactor, even though sometimes he could be, but he's a true fan's fan. I think most people who really like their teams are in line with his mindset and, you need somebody. I was trying to be that guy to you guys when the Yankees had that run. I was like, mm-hmm. listen, this team is where you need to be. You got a great young core. You got a coach. Was that Girardi still? I forget, right? That was still yeah, Girardi. that was Girardi. Then, and then they fired him, right, in the offseason. Right. So now it's not one-to-one. But you still have so many positives to build off of. But at the same time, if you're living and dying with the Knicks, like they kind of made you believe a little bit, especially with the matchup and especially with the regular season um, success they had against Atlanta. So, you know, you kind of believed and then the, the rug was kind of pulled out from under you. So like, I'm sure Knicks fans are taking it a lot harder than they should be, but I feel like with a little perspective and a little bit of time, they'll see that, you know, there were so many positives on the team considering where we were talking about them, uh, you know, as the, when the season began, we were like, you know, it's just be confident that we were just asking for competency from the Knicks and they delivered in that and uh, tenfold. You know, and there's so many positives and so many building pieces that, that you can build off. Yeah, there's there's glaring weaknesses and, you know, they're a little short on talent wise um, to go head to head against someone like like a Trey Young. Um, they're, they're, they don't have that type of, you know, score or player on their team, but there's just so many positives that you, you can take away. And, and no Nick fan wants to hear that right now, right after, yeah. you know, again, just falling, falling so short. But like that's that's just the reality. There's, there's so much that you can, you could look at this team, you could see the positives and you move forward and, you know, just give, just give it a little time to expand. So it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. And you know, you think about what led us here. It was an offense that was rel- relatively underwhelming, or I wouldn't even say relatively. I would just say straight up underwhelming this entire season, other than Julius Randall, you had some good RJ Barrett, you know, runs a couple of good weeks at a time out of RJ Barrett. You had some nice Derek Rose runs. We had some nice Emmanuel quickly runs. But realistically, it was always Julius Randle or bust. When my guy scored over mm-hmm. 22, I forget what the exact number is, but more or less, if he scored over like 21, 22 points, the record was really, really good. And if he was under 21, the record wasn't that good. And he obviously got a new level of focus on him in these playoffs where there was now yeah. game plan specifically for him. It was his first playoffs. And not only was his shooting numbers and whatnot down, his assist numbers went down, and his whole offensive game was was just a lot tougher. And the offense has always been the issue. If you listen to Subway Sports Talk, we've been talking about it the whole entire year. There's not true closers on this team. There's not many true shooters on this team or shot creators, realistically. I mean, if, if you think about the offense, Julius Randle is not a, a number one on a championship team. He's a, clearly a number one now on a four through eight seed, which is a really good, really good player. He might be a two on a championship team, a a two B or whatever you want to call it, a number three. Uh, There's a lot of things. Other than that, 
we got a young RJ Barrett who's still a year or two away from being anything special, if anything. And then you got, like, when you're talking about shooters, Alec Burke shooting four threes a game. 40% is great, but on four threes a game. Look at the other teams in this league, guys shooting six, seven, eight, nine threes a game and ripping that same percentage. So when you think about the grand scheme, you think about where this offense was throughout the season, this all makes a lot more sense on how this series played out against the Atlanta Hawks. So I don't want to harp too much on it. It's kind of like bitter for everybody now. If I'm going to start going back over uh, the the ups and downs, the ins and outs of the series, the uh, the images of Trey Young step back threes at the end, or every single floater where he was just wide the hell open. There's positives and, to take, and and he wasn't even on his he wasn't even on his game tonight, but he I think he still finished with like 36 points and nine assists, but like, and, and that's just like the difference, you know. Julius Randle again, he's the number one option, but like. If Julius Randle scores thirty six points, that's like a that's a that's almost a career a career night for him. And you know, and Trey Young, uh, on the other hand, it's just he didn't look sharp at, at a lot of points tonight, but he still ended up with thirty six. And I think that's the that's the biggest difference here between these two teams. Yeah, that that and the fact that you know Bogdan Bogdanovich, Clint Capella, maybe John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, maybe Danilo Gallinari, like all these guys would be the second or third best player on the team in the, on the yeah. Knicks. All those guys. You know, for as great as Derrick Rose was for this uh, for us this season, for as good as R.J. Barrett did compar- comparatively to his rookie year, that team had so much more talent, right? So that brings us to what happens next. What also, is the... I didn't, I, also, I didn't know that Danilo Gallinari was still in the league. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a Nick. Uh, there's, there's your uh, little dagger, Knicks fans. Yeah, ex Nick great Danilo Gallinari. He's he actually had a really good role last year on Oklahoma City with Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Dennis Schroeder. He was like the the third fourth dude on that team who was low key killing from three and then kind of fell apart in the playoffs. Um, he was a little better this year for the Hawks in the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, you think about the Knicks now, and you think about now what's next. They don't have a lottery pick. They do have two first-round picks and the number two pick in the second round. So, you know, out of those three swings, or maybe they package to move up a little bit, who knows, you get three swings at a, at a pick there. You know, you, you got to hope maybe they can pull in one piece of talent out of that three, even if they trade up or whatever. But free agency is where this team can make a splash. But first and foremost, there's a big decision to be made about Julius Randle. Next year, he's about 20, 21 million on a team option that they can pick up. They can run it back with him as, uh, you know, that same contract now will become an expiring. It's just 20 to 21 million or they can extend him or they can scrap that and give him a new contract right now. So this gives us a really tough decision. Do you run it back and possibly insult the man, make him unhappy with the situation when he might want to be extended now? Or do you possibly have to overpay? Now, in the, in the scheme of having to overpay, the fact that he struggled in the playoffs might come out as a positive. Not obviously that it's truly a positive for him or his career, even though maybe it'll, it'll inspire him to come back even better. But he struggled in the playoffs. Maybe that saves the Knicks a few million dollars. I don't know. But the difference between maxing him, I'm not sure of the exact, exact numbers, is like 30-plus million a year. When in reality, getting him at that 24, 25, 26 mark is really huge in building a team. 
because that money can get displaced elsewhere. A second star could be born, and it can be great, great prosperity for the Knicks team that we know is star hungry and scoring hungry and shooting hungry, et cetera, playmaking hungry. So, Andrew, what do you think about that from a more of like the social dynamic? Not even, not even super specifically about Julius Randle. Obviously, you can throw in your thoughts about him as a max player or not. But the idea of the possibility of insulting him or putting a bad taste in him or other players' mouths by not extending him now and just running it back on the team option year, how do you, how do you think about that dynamic? Because it's a little bit more complicated than it may seem. You know, if we're playing 2K, you, ex- you leave him on the one-year team option and you move on, you extend them next year, and everything's good. But that's not real life. No, it, it depends on what the next steps are. Is it, do you, okay, so you lost in the first round now. Are you, are you immediately, you know, are you immediately trying to get get a superstar in there and to, to, to shake up the core? Or are you trying to slowly, are you trying to build this up and trust the process and do the right way? Because sometimes you might you might have to, you know, overpay for Randall and you might have to extend him just to, you know, and, and if he's not, and if he's, uh, you know, there when, you know, the next steps are ready to be taken fine, or if he's, you know, kind of a, an albatross on the, on the payroll, then, you know, that that's kind of the consequence, but I feel like as a, as an outsider perspective, you, you should want to reward the players that helped you over exceed expectations. If that, if that makes sense. I don't think you want to rock the boat as much, um, you know, but it, obviously he's a, he's a really key part of the team. So, um, you know, it, it's someone you want to build around, uh, but you know, it obviously it all depends on the price and it all depends on how much exactly he's looking for. And, uh, you know, and you kind of go from there. Yeah. I tend to agree just for the record. I, uh, I would want to get something done now. And obviously, if you're the Knicks, you push for that 24 number. And if he's pushing for 34, hopefully you end up at 28, 29, and and you call it a day and everybody's happy. And the players around the league who look at the Knicks way better today than they did one year ago already. Like, that's huge already, right? NBA players adore Derrick Rose. They respect Taj Gibson. They have a newfound respect, perhaps, for Julius Randle. I'm not sure how they felt about him before. Maybe indifferent, if you will. But the idea of attracting disgruntled players via trade or people who are actually free agents comes down to what people think of the franchise. We talked about it with the Brooklyn Nets, and you can argue it didn't matter. It mattered. It helped Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving feel comfortable to choose them because they were respectable, competent, consistently putting good basketball players out on the court. And now look at the Nets. You may think they're just a big three. You check out Joe Harris. My guy's a stud. You check out Bruce Brown. They're doing good things, finding him on the on the heat, scrap heap, amongst others, Nick Claxton. Uh, even Jeff Green has kind of revitalized his career a little bit. So the Knicks are in that realm now where players probably look at the Knicks and say, that seems like a great place. That place is rocking. Julius Randle is the most popular guy in New York right now, and he couldn't even you know win more than one playoff game. If we get in there and we do the right thing, this is good. So I generally lean towards getting something done with Randle now because then you have the asset. And I think worst-case scenario, or if one of these big-time stars comes available, Randle could be a trade chip. You hate to think about that right now, but I think you want to get it done now unless he says 
he's okay with taking the one year deal and betting on himself, but then you risk him having the opportunity to leave the year after that. It just gets so risky. It gets so flimsy when you don't get something done now. So I'm for trying to get something done. I am rooting for it to not be the full max and to save some dollars. I know his, uh, his max will be a little bit lower based on the fact that he's been on a couple teams already that, so that helps in that regard. Um, but also you look at the free agents in this class and it's a little bit tricky. You have a Chris Paul free agent possibility. He's got a player option. Hard to believe he's going to leave Phoenix with how good that team looks right now, especially if they can take down the Lakers. Kawhi Leonard, kind of the same concept. I can't imagine him leaving California right now. No, I yet. wouldn't either. Oh, yeah, I just can't. But if he all of a sudden, you know, they lose in the first round and maybe there's rumblings, yeah, obviously you're going to take a look at that, right? And then, and then there's a lot of things that are just not incredibly realistic. Like, are you going to pay for Mike Conley or Kyle Lowry, who are both 33, 35 years old? DeMar DeRozan's going to turn 33 next year. After that, it gets... What about Lonzo? Now, Lonzo's a restricted free agent, so that gets a little frisky as well. You know, that's not a bad one. I think Knicks fans would enjoy that. Uh, I don't know if it's the perfect fit. the the, the tease of of possibly trading for him during the the summer, so, um, or, you know, during the season, so... You know, there was kind of that dance between them and the Bulls. So uh, I'm sure they're going to have both of him and a few other teams will still have interest in him. But, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, is, is he the answer long-term for point, at point guard? Um, I love I love Lonzo. I don't know if he is just because yeah. if we need playmakers, he's a playmaker in the sense that he'll get his other guys going and his shot is way better today than it was a year ago. So I love, I, I'm a big, been always been a Lonzo Ball fan. I am a Lonzo Ball fan. You you might get stuck with an overpay because of the restricted free agency. Yeah. It's something you definitely take a meeting. You definitely consider. You maybe put in an offer, and then as soon as it reaches a point, you're like, well, you know, New Orleans can just re-sign him. I'm not going too high. I'm not going to screw ourselves they, over. They, the Pelicans have some have some cap issues, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So, I, you know, I feel like he's, uh, you know, I think he's one of the more intriguing, you know, realistic possibilities for the Knicks. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's something that I would be excited for. I would be excited for it. I don't know if it's the perfect fit, but I would be excited for it. Um, there's, there's some other, there's some other ones. I'm not going to go through the entire list, but then you start getting into names like Norman Powell. Yeah, he's a good player. He's not going to change your franchise. Dennis Schroeder. He's a really good bench player. He's probably a decent starter at best. So like, it, it starts to get frisky. And that's where patience becomes a virtue. That's where I do become okay with getting Randall on the books now and then waiting and seeing, taking smart moves, waiting for trades to to pop up and, and seeing what happens there. Um, a lot a lot to go down. A lot for Leon Rose and uh, World Wide West and Steve Mills to pull off because uh, they've done a great job to this point and we cannot be too disappointed with how this season ended because of how we got here. But it, this is where it gets really hard. And we're going to start talking about the Mets and Yankees. You made that analogy already. Would you say that the Yankees maybe sat on their hands a little bit too much over the past three years? Like w- coming from somebody who's followed a team really closely, who had that big run a little earlier than you expected. How do you think the Yankees handled it as a transition here? Uh, absolutely. You know, it's it's been twice now uh, for the for the Yankees where they've cut payroll by fifty million dollars to get under the luxury tax, uh, you know, when you have, when you, you, you know, Aaron judge wasn't like a top overall prospect, 
when he came to like he was the Yankees top overall prospect, but he wasn't like a, a, a top 20 baseball America, you know, type guy. There wasn't, you know, a ton of hype around him when he got called up, uh, you know, and then he comes and he he, he should have won an MVP. And, you know, they did make moves. And I'm, I'm not going to say them, you know, trading for John Carl Stanton and taking out all his money and signing Garrett Cole. But they, there always seemed to be one move or a couple moves, just like not just fully going all in and, and getting kind of being that complacent, you know, team. And you even see it this year now, um, you know, guys are, you know, they were counting on, you know, guys that continue to develop and guys have like, stalled or gone backwards. If you're, if you're talking about Glaber Torres, or if you're talking about Clint Frazier, or Gary Sanchez and, uh, Aaron Hicks, who they signed to an extension, all just guys that all of a sudden just stopped learning how to play baseball. And, you know, I get at a certain point that you, you can't continue to add and add that, but at the same time, um, you, you have to increase the margins and the Yankees just, just haven't done that. And they've continued to give at bats to Mike Ford and Rugen Odor and Tyler Wade. And that's not just what championship type teams do they you build the depth up you do kind of what the Mets did and you go sign a Jonathan Villar who's been such a key player oh, for the Mets huge uh, you know and that was kind of what the Mets have been missing the last couple of years too just key high high uh high floor depth pieces that can come in and in a pinch and the Yankees just haven't had that and I feel like especially with all the injuries that uh that they've occurred you know over the last couple of years that you would think that depth would be the number one thing that they were looking to add and just they just just not not doing it not getting the job done so you know if if you're a Knicks fan you have to hope that um there's a little more sense of urgency but you know you still trust the process at the at the same time it's finding that finding that balance in between yeah um what the Yankees did and you know what the Knicks have done in the in in the past and kind of uh, try to accelerate the their their uh, time period their timetable um yeah as much as they did by making you know dumb trades and you know signing max guys so you know just be careful yeah literally though and to put a pin in the next conversation we'll, we'll we'll move fully into the baseball conversation here there are a number of things that become important here number one is julius randall number two might be derrick rose and if he comes back he won't be a starting point guard we imagine he will go back into that six-man role that he was so freaking awesome in this season does he, yep. Do we get him back? And then from there, and I think back to the original video I put about Tom Thibodeau um, on our on Subway Sports Talk Instagram saying, I don't know if he's the perfect coach for this team, but I do like the hire. He does win when he has good players, and look what happened. He won with good players. Now, he might need great players because every coach needs great players to get over the hump, but he did show us a few things with the guys who he actually played consistently and some guys more in particular later on, like Obi Toppin, he showed some nice flashes at the end. We like what we're seeing there. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly, we obviously like what we see there. The guys like Frank Nilakina and Kevin Knox, it, it sounds like they'll either be back on cheap because they're getting no offers elsewhere, or they're gone, and it doesn't seem like a big deal to anyone inside the Knicks organization. In regards to the others, it's a little bit different than the Mets and Yankees in the sense that they did do a good job of getting those depth pieces with nice little floors like Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock, Taj Gibson, uh, Nerlens Noel, dudes who really did sure up this rotation and helped 
without Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett and Derrick Rose, who are the quote-unquote stars of this team. Now it's time for them to get their Garrett Cole, to get their Giancarlo Stanton. It's just hard to see where those guys are coming from. Last thing I'll say about the New York Knicks is Tom Thibodeau might be coach of the year. He might very well deserve it. We have to now monitor the the arc of Tom Thibodeau as a coach. If Julius Randle is averaging 39 minutes a game next year and looks shot in the playoffs again, we have to have that conversation. I don't know if it's perfect. I don't know what if he'll ever change. I don't think he'll ever change. But some of the things Tom Thibodeau does will make you incredibly in love with him and the team's culture and then will make you incredibly frustrated at the end of a game in the fourth quarter because the guys are shot or there's not the adjustment you need. There's not the offensive strategy in today's NBA that you want to see. So I, I don't, Tom Thibodeau is obviously not getting fired. Obviously he's not going to get fired next year either. But if there's a plateau with what goes on in this team, just don't be shocked if after next year, if there's another year of one and out in the playoffs or not much improvement to the team on the floor or the roster in general, I don't know if Tom Thibodeau is here for seven years. I don't know if he's here for five years. I'm incredibly happy to have him right now, but it's something to watch moving forward, especially seeing what type of guys get brought into the team here. So it's just, again, nothing against Tom Thibodeau right now. A-plus for him on the season. A-plus for the Knicks. Maybe A A or A-minus for the Knicks in general, including the playoffs on the whole season. I'll give an A. Uh, But just things to keep an eye on as we move forward into this team trying to take another step forward into this NBA power rankings or this hierarchy, if you will. So, Subway Sports Talk, Pete Kennedy. Oh, yeah, we got one more thing, Andrew? It, it was It was just, it was the, it, it realistically was the best case scenario best. for the Knicks going into the year. And, and again, By it's a million. disappointing. It's, it's, it's disappointing end to the season and the you see the holes in the roster. But again, you talk to any Knicks fan, you know, six months ago, uh, and you talk, you know, and you say, would you, would you take uh, the four seed in, in the East? And, um, you know, the Julius Randle doing what he does and everyone, everyone take it a hundred times out of a hundred. So it was the best case scenario for them, a disappointing end, but it's, it's, they're taking steps forward. And that's the most important thing in here that they're not, they wasn't a, a clusterfuck of, of players <laughs> and it, it wasn't no issues, no drama. There wasn't. Yeah, there was no drama. There was no, you know, there was competency. There was, there was skill. There was, you know, performance. There was, there's, there's so many positives across the board. So, you know, take, take the W, you know, uh, gain some perspective and, you know, continue to to hope that the franchise does improves the way that improved from last year to this year and they keep doing it going forward. So, you know, it's exciting, exciting to see, uh, you know, them ascend and, and and kind of get back to, you know, the ideas of where Nick's basketball was, you know, like 20 years ago. So yeah. It's a, uh, it's exciting. Well, so. well said. And I'll add that I was a little frustrated with Nick's fans. A, when they started chanting, we want Brooklyn after winning one game, which was just silly because mm. you won one game and two, you would have needed to beat the Hawks and then beat the Sixers to then get to Brooklyn. So it was just a silly thing to say. Obviously, the spitting thing on Trey Young was just like, that's just uncalled for. It's terrible. Everything you've heard about that is fair because it's a horrible thing to do, obviously. So I was like, I was almost out on Nick fans for a little bit. And then 
Yeah. You know, they keep trying to get the Trey Young thing going. Uh, you know, it's not my cup of tea, but I respect it. Trying to get under his skin. It seemed like it lifted him up even further. But he, in general, I was like, ugh. Knicks fans are crushing me a little more because of the couple negative things and then trying but failing to get under Trey Young's skin properly. And then at the end, Knicks fans made me incredibly proud where this game was abysmal to watch for most of it. The offense couldn't get anything going. There was no rhythm. There was there was decent but not amazing effort the entire game five. But at the very end with a minute left, down by 12, Knicks fans get out of their seats and give a standing ovation and basically say thank you to the team because they gave us an absolutely incredible, incredible season from start to finish, energy, excitement, the whole nine. So shout out to Knicks fans. Shout out to the Knicks. It really was great. Andrew, thank you for your perspective on that. Reeling me in a little bit as I started talking about Tibbs getting fired in a year and a half. <laughs> so I appreciate you. Uh, I got you. But on, I got you. on to baseball, Subway Sports Talk, Pete Kennedy and Andrew Kalanya here. It's time to talk about the New York Yankees. Let's start there because we already started touching on it. And, um, you know, we just got a little positive and sappy with the Knicks. And now let's switch it up and get a little negative. Because I know you and Alec are struggling right now with the energy around the New York Yankees team, around the offense, around the defense, around everybody, but a couple of the pitchers, basically. It's been tough, even though you're still above 500. You're still in a great striking range uh, to win the division or get on top of that division. So give me the vibe check. I know you had a, a third theory, uh, the thirds theory uh, yeah, to yeah, do with baseball in general. So just give me your whole spiel about how you're feeling and how you're looking at the rest of this year. So yeah, there's, there's an old baseball saying that the baseball season's kind of broken up into thirds, you know, the first third of the season, which we're, which you just got into is just for evaluation. Uh, the second third is where you make changes. And the last third is where you have your, you know, complete team and, and you, and you, you know, finish out the season. That's the team that you're going to, you know, ride into the postseason with. So the Yankees, uh, God, the, the, the <laughs> you were you were flowing so nicely there, and then the Yankees just stymied you. It's kind of like when they uh, can't the, get a hit. The off, runners the on base. <laughs> the offensive regression uh, of this team has been just just baffling. And if if you would have went into the season and uh, you would have asked any Yankees fan, what's what's the what's going to be the issue with this team, and they would have said starting pitching, and they would have said absolutely starting pitching, and it's been the complete opposite. You know, the plan was you know, for the offense to, to carry the, the pitching while, you know, uh, Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyon and, you know, Domingo Herman, they all got the kind of their feet underneath them and, the, and that's how they would carry him. But, and, you know, you're in June now and you still have a majority of the lineup who, who's not hurt. You know, now Aaron Hicks is done for the season. Uh, Luke Voigt came back and now he's hurt again. Um, uh you, have, you just have so many guys, so many guys. And, you know, uh, talk about Kyle Higashioka since he, uh, since he got his playing time that all Yankee fans were begging at the beginning of the season, you know, oh, he's, he's saving home runs. And the second he got more playing time, he's hit like one, one, uh, one forty, uh, two, two fifteen, And he's slugged like three Oh six. Like he's been, he, he regressed to the mean so, surprise surprise Yankees fans uh, and you know not that Gary Sanchez has been much better but he's been actually he's been pretty hot lately um you know I think he's uh like seven for his last like uh like 16 or something like that so Gary's starting to heat up a little bit but 
there's just, you know, Clint Frazier, you know, again, he's starting to heat up a little bit, but we, we kind of saw a little spurts like that in the last month or so where he's heat up and then he, another a week or two will go by and it'll just be, you know, not doing much. And, you know, he's still hitting under 200. Like the, the calendar flipped over to June. Now you can't, you can't kind of sit there and hope that guys will, you know, just get better. Uh, and there's a lot of glaring holes on this team. And, you know, Rugen Odor is still getting at bats and inexplicably being batted uh, into the, into the number two hole. Um, so it's, it's been really tough offensively and the Yankees are, you know, not only are they, you know, struggling offensively, they're just making so many mental gaps that where you have to start to kind of question uh, the coaching staff and their ability to, to get most out of their players. And, you know, we're on year four of the Aaron Boone experience and, and every single Yankees star aside from Aaron Jones is, has, has taken steps back that nobody has, you know, progressed with their career. And it's, it's just been really tough, uh, you know, and again, they're still winning, you know, the pitching has carried them and they just won tonight. Um, you know, Chapman was a little shaky in the ninth, but the, the, they, uh, they beat the Rays again. And with Cole on the mound tomorrow, you got to feel pretty good. But at the same time, um, they don't feel like a top contender uh, in the American League to me. Um, it, you know, there's, I hope that, um, that you know, Aaron Judge was, was starting in center field for the first time in his career. Like, you know, you're kind of asking for trouble when – moves like that start to happen when you're that yeah. desperate when you're moving Aaron judge who can't play the field more than two days in a row without being DH <laughs> is now yours. Now you're starting center is, is going to play center field because Brett Gardner just can't, you know, you're just run. You ran 38 year old Brett Gardner into the ground at this point. So I mean, 38 year old, uh, you, you can stop the sentence there, right? It's th- he's been, he's been washed for like two and a half, four, five, seven years or something like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, granted and, and, I'm, I'm being sarcastic cause he's had some good years in the past couple but he's been washed or on the edge of wash. So like whatever, but real quick, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Would you say this is the floor for the Yankees though, with all the talent, with all the offensive struggles, is this the floor or could they be worse than this right now? I mean, uh, I, I, I think you're a couple, I think uh, the injury bug, I think this is the floor for a, a mostly, healthy team uh, again you have hicks and um hicks and void out but you know the, compared to the last couple of years you know that's that's pretty healthy yeah uh, all, now the, all the mets are the new yankees in that regard yeah so that's that's pretty healthy all things considered um so yeah for 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 a healthy team this is this is the floor which is you know you can take the positives out of that right but, um there but, are a lot of holes that need to be filled and a lot of, you know, issues that, frankly, they, you know, they should have addressed during the offseason that um, that have reared their their ugly head around just, again, the lack of depth, quality depth that they have. So, yeah, you can you can pick up Rugnet Odor, who, who should be playing AAA for the Rockies right now. But, <laughs> I feel some real deep hatred for Rugnet Odor. Oh, my you? God. Like, <laughs> I, he's One bat flip listen, and Yankee fans think he can do something, and he's listen, not good. When, <laughs> Listen, when they picked him up, I you go check check the receipts on the podcast here for me. And I said I had no expectations for him, you know, going in, uh, and I would expect them if he's not working out that he would just, you know, he's a free free salary cap move. You know, they would pick him up if he doesn't work out. He would get, you know, 
tossed and released. And it, clearly he's not, you know, outside of the occasional home run, like he's, he's not a good baseball player. And there's absolutely no reason why he should be in a, in the lineup as much as these are it'd be bad batting t- in the two hole. Yeah. And any, and any confident, uh, team that's trying to win a championship fine if he wants to bat two for the for the baltimore Orioles, sure go right ahead middle door but like a team with championship aspirations like has to do better that has to acquire better depth than this and and it's just not there and it's i think that's the most frustrating part is because like you see you see mike ford continue to get at bats you see tyler wade and uh these guys who you who who've disappeared over the last two years and you know you're not going to get anything out of them but they can they continue to just run these guys out there night after night after night after night and it's just like you're you're the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different result so i think we're, we've reached the point of insanity here where uh you're running out just bad hitters um and, and you know they're not doing uh, the guys who are struggling to line up any favors. So it's just, it's just a bad situation overall. Um, you know, there's, there's really nothing more else I could say. But I think that like, I think what you're saying though, is just really highlighting the frustration with Yankee fans and with all the, you know, Oh, we got to sit this guy, even though he just sat like two days or three days ago and he had an off day and he DH one day. And why is he sitting again? Like there's true frustration out of Yankee fans there. And realistically, like, I think it's fair. It sucks. But when you think about it from the franchise perspective, they're like, we've had so many injury problems over the past, like, three seasons. We need to do everything we can to not let our guys get hurt. But it's not working. It's not helping that much. There's still guys going down. You got Hicks out for the year, like you mentioned. And it's tough. Like, so did, did you happen to catch JJ's uh, back and forth with Peter Gammons by any chance? No, I, I did not. I missed it. Okay, so let me give you this real quick. This was from yesterday, and I saw it. I was like, oh, my God, JJ's going at it with Peter Gammons. What's going on? Let me check this out. So he said, the Yankees giving Stanton and Torres a day off tonight. This is yesterday again. Well, now you're listening to this on Thursday, so it was two days ago now. Um, the Yankees giving Stanton and Torres a day off tonight is an absolute disgrace. Not surprising, but a disgrace nonetheless. And Peter, Peter Gammons goes, <laughs> sorry, I laughed. With all your experience, knowledge, and of, of everything from the medical staff and those who appreciate players of people, we're shocked Aaron Boone doesn't consult you daily. So he goes right at JJ, like, yeah, you know, you know everything. And JJ decides to go right back at him. Peter, Stanton has good numbers against Glass now. Isn't playing the field and was off on Saturday. Oh, and he's making 30 plus million a year. With all due respect, save me the lecture. He should be in the lineup if he's healthy and Aaron Boone and Boone, I might add said he was so like, that's it in a nutshell. Yankee fans are yeah. pissed. The healthy and, guys and are getting scratched. The, the, the crazy and the crazy thing about Stanton is, it's like, how, do, how does he get hurt? All that he hasn't played the field in two years. He, 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 how do you get hurt consistently? And, you know, he just came off the IL and for some reason the Yankees just decided that's how desperate they are for offense at the moment where they just decide, Oh, you don't need a rehab this time. We're just going to, you're going to have two weeks off and just, uh, you know, come right back on. And then he went Oh, for eight with like seven strikeouts or something, something like that to start back off from coming off the IL. Like uh, it, it's incredible. Yeah. So JJ's final thing at Peter Gammons was so at Peter Gammons, 
I guess it's not allowed to question a team that hasn't hit for two months, looks incredibly flawed offensively, and is approaching a critical week in the year like it's mid-March. But please, don't bother questioning the manager or the process. First of all, if you don't know JJ, who we're, we're referring to here, John Jastrzemski, formerly of WFAN, I like to call him at least a, a, a you know, I'll call him a friend. I say, I'll say he's a friend. You know, I worked with him a bunch. He helped me out at the fan a lot when I was there. Uh, so I'll say he's at least a, a, a semi-friend. He answers my text if I text him. And I was like, damn, JJ really went at Peter Gammons, bro. Peter Gammons ain't like, you know, Mark Berman of the Post with the New York Knicks. Like, Peter Gammons is a Hall of Famer, if I'm not mistaken. So I love it for JJ because he is speaking for real Yankee fans there. Tell me if you disagree with anything he said. I don't because, again, John Carlson finds himself getting hurt batting just taking four at bats a day and then running the bases at 60% and then some, some somehow gets hurt. And the guy, the guy's built of just, just saw they, they say soft in- tissue injuries and he's just built of soft tissue. <laughs> like it's just this constant, constant, uh, just injuries and up and down the line. And, and again, if, if you're healthy enough to pinch hit in that game, which, which he did, by the way, uh, you, you should be healthy enough to, you know, take give, three give more at bats, t- take three more <laughs> at bats. And, and it's, I think, I think a lot of it had to do with, um, unfortunately with Aaron judge, um, and his lower body injury that they, they've Aaron Boone has been talking about all season. So again, he hasn't played the field in two days, more than two days back to back. Um, I think since the beginning of the season. Oh, so, um, so I think him sitting there was more of a product of Aaron judge, not being healthy or not being, or they're being so concerned about Aaron judge's health that, you know, that they can't play stand in the field. So um, judge has to take those DH at bats occasionally too. Um, but Glaber Torres, uh, you know, Gio Rochelle, you know, it, it worked out okay. Cause Rochelle is a, is a great defender. It's short surprising. Um, Cause he's slow. He's not fast. Yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, so, so let me let me circle back here for a second. I was trying to get here before I got distracted by the JJ stuff. So yeah. two weeks ago, we're talking about the Mets and the Yankees. I'm saying about the Mets, like, hey, we are so injured. It's terrible. Like, you know, McNeil out, Alonzo out, Davis out. Um, J- uh, uh, one more person I'm forgetting now. Off, off the top of my- oh, well, some of the backups like Yorme's out. There's somebody else who I'm, I'm not remembering at the moment who's out. Conforto? Yeah, Conforto out. There we go. That's who I was trying to think of. And the Mets were playing around 500 baseball, and they're doing enough to stay afloat. And the Pilars, the VRs, um, now Peraza, they're doing what they can to help keep this team afloat. If this is as worse as it can get, you know, the, the Mets are doing okay staying afloat. The Yankees, on the other hand, were eight games above 500, seven games above 500-ish around them. But from then... They're now the ones playing mediocre baseball at best and struggling. Mm-hmm. And you can also still argue that if this is as bad as it gets for them offensively and they're still, you know, winning some games and they're in games, there's there's a green pasture somewhere out there for the Yankees to find. So there's definitely a silver lining, but it's incredibly frustrating for you guys. I don't watch the Yankees every day, so it doesn't matter to me. But it has to be incredibly frustrating to watch this team every day where there's not the depth pieces. You don't have a MVP caliber DJ LeMahieu season right now. And all the things that you counted on that you said were definites going into the season, even those things are pulling back. With all that being said, is there a big enough silver lining for you to think they don't have to make 
a drastic move or are you in the camp that things have to happen to this roster for them to reach their true peaks? I don't think, you know, I, I, there's a there's a pretty good um, analysis on uh, the website views from uh, 314feet.com. So the Yankees uh, have been uh, just uh, in, inexplicably able to hit uh, balls in the zone. And when they do hit balls in the zone, they're hitting uh, balls into the ground. I think the ground ball rate um, from 2019 and 2020 was like 38%, and now it's 46%. So, again, I think uh, – you can expect the offense to, you know, and this is, this is across the board. There's not even right. just like one or two players that are struggling again. Aside it's from across Aaron the Judge. league, probably not just yeah, the Yankees. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bad. Um, so when the Yankees do get, uh, are swinging at balls in the strike zone, they're not really doing anything with it. So you have to expect that to, uh, change and for them to not hit as many ground balls and maybe change their approach at the plate for a little bit. Um, and again, I don't, again, where, this is kind of the same conversation we've had in, in the offseason. Where exactly do you make moves? Yeah. So the Yankees need a center fielder. I think that's their biggest, uh, you know, their biggest hole offensively. And hopefully they can, they can address that. But again, you're not, again, you're not getting rid of Clint Frazier because who are you bringing in? There's no mind that there's no minor leaguer there to, there's not somebody in AAA that's pushing him. He pushing is the minor leaguer. So like he to, is the guy who, to, who's pushing. Yeah, exactly. So you, you can't replace him. You know, you're waiting for Luke Voigt to get back. You have to. You just signed DJ LeMahieu to a six-year extension. So you ride and die with DJ LeMahieu. Um, Gleyber Torres is your starting shortstop. Gio Rochelle is your starting third baseman. Uh, you're not starting Kyle Gashioka. You see what he does when, um, you know, get got uh, more playing time, gets overexposed. So, again, there's not really much help to, to come, uh, at least offensively. Uh, maybe they can go get uh, another starting pitcher in case uh, Kluber has suffered some kind of setback. And unfortunately, after he threw the the no hitter, which was incredibly fun to watch, uh, I think this is the first time we're we're talking since the no hitter. Um, True. Yeah, feels like so, long history at this point. <laughs> yeah, it feels like forever ago because he because he went down immediately afterwards. It's kind of a David Cohn esque vibe after he threw the perfect game in '98. He was like never the same pitcher after that, and he just kind of just like left it all in the tank and kind of made the deal with the devil there. Right. Um, so hopefully that's not the same case with uh, Kluber. So I, I would expect them to, you know, to check in on, on guys and Severino is going to come back. And I'm sure if they don't get a player, you're going to hear the same talk from Brian Cashman is getting, getting Luke Voigt back and getting uh, Severino back and getting Britain back. That's the, that's better than any trade that we could have made. And I don't, I, you know, I had a lot of conversations and I didn't like the prices out there and, you know, I believe in these guys in the locker room. It's just, just, you know, it's June 2nd. Those are direct quotes that are going to be from Brian Cashman uh, on July 31st, because again, they don't have, they don't have the payroll wriggle room to go out and, you know, get uh, a, a salary dump from another team, how they would typically do, unless they ownership sees the, the, the dire situation the offense is in and says, you know, forget the, forget the luxury tax and you'll go over. But um, if you truly believe that's going to happen, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you on the cheap. So. <laughs> oh man, the frustration is real. It's tough. It really is. I, I, I feel bad, but I also don't. 
If we're being honest, no, I don't. I understand. I understand. I don't I understand. No, because again, it, this this is this is the floor for the offense, and the Yankees are at the moment they are six games above five hundred and uh, four games back of the division right now. And you know that's not the worst place to be. But again, yeah. you're looking up at Boston, who they they have a you know a series again against them this weekend. I'll I'll be going on Friday, nice, uh, which will be exciting. Um, and you know, and hopefully they can. Uh, Garrett Cole can take the mound and and get them a little closer to the top of the division. So they're right there in the in the race, and you know Toronto's right in the back of them. So it's the AL East is going to be a gauntlet as we kind of expected it to be. I mean, I don't really think Boston. Everyone expected Boston to be as good as they are, um, but you know, yeah, the AL East is not, what we not, thought the AL East was going to be. It, you know, if you talk to uh, the WFAN caller, you would think that the Yankees are the Orioles right now in 1937 instead mm-hmm. of uh, 31 and 25. So, yeah, it does feel like that. And uh, I think the AL East is what we thought the NL East was going to be. And we could mm-hmm. use that as a segue. And I think it's interesting that you brought up the league wide hitting issues really, because it's hurting the game in general, less action plays more strikeouts than ever. It's not as fun to watch for, you know, a regular fan, obviously teams, people are locked into their teams as much as ever, but from a national perspective, there's so many strikeouts, less action plays, and, and it's frustrating to watch, and the, the pitchers are just straight-up dominating. So if there is some sort of regression, you have to imagine that regresses you know, individually for the Yankees and individually for the Mets and, and then for some of the teams that are struggling right now. Um, but to make the segue over to the Mets right now, unless you have anything else to add on the Yankees front, are you good there? Yeah, no, no, we're good. I, will, I, 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 I think, I think, I, I think, I, uh, <laughs> if I, if I talk any more about the Yankees' offense, I'm just gonna more sad drinking. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to do that. It's only Wednesday. Uh, exactly. I'll say I'm a half, I'm a half vax guy now, like half calf. I'm half vax, so mm-hmm. soon enough I'll be full vax, and maybe I'll meet you and Alec for a game over in the Bronx. That would be great, great fun. Uh, Sounds wonderful. Or maybe over in Queens. Maybe we could do that. I'm wearing my new Mets hat right now as we speak. And we'll segue over to the Mets, and I'll use some statistics here that I used last time you and I spoke. You know, we were talking about OPS. We were talking about um, the Mets being at the bottom of the barrel in a lot of these offensive categories. Well, if you look at the last month broken down from the last 30 days, then you break down to the last 15 days, now to the last seven days, the Mets are making drastic improvements offensively almost for no apparent reason. Well, the reasons are Lindor starting to hit a little bit. Alonzo came back and hit a little bit. Dom Smith starting to hit a little bit. And they're still missing Conforto, Nimmo, who I didn't mention before, J.D. Davis, McNeil, and they're running out McKinney and Mason Williams and Peraza. And, well, Pilar's back now, and, and he was out for a Brandon, little bit. Brandon Drury. These are all ex, uh, ex-Yankees here. I, was, I made the, the joke in the group chat that it's just this is uh... – you know, Brandon Jury and Billy McKinney were the key pieces in the J.A. Happ trade. Yes. So maybe the uh, the, Yank, the the Mets can uh, ship him off to Minnesota and try to get J.A. Happ. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, right now the pitching's been good for the Mets, so we can, we can say that. It's been great. It's been really, really great. And we could talk about DeGrom in a minute, but I want to focus on this offense. So if you go to the last 30 days, their OPS was ranked 24th in the league. You go to the last 15 days, they bumped up to, eight, uh, to 18th in the league. If you go to the last seven days, the last week of baseball, the Mets are the second-ranked OPS in the league. Now, I know, obviously, seven days is only six games for the Mets, and it's a small sample, and you don't want to you know, put every chip into that basket, but the offense is really, really waking up, 
and they have won, I, again, I didn't check, I probably should have, at least five of six. It might be six of seven at this point. I do kind of forget, or six of eight maybe. Um, but they've been winning games. They've been hitting the ball. They gave some run support to Jacob DeGrom and then almost blew it, at, you know, in, in typical Mets fashion. Um, but they're starting to do some of the right things, and that depth has come up so incredibly huge for this team. Uh, if you think about this squad, though, Andrew, and it's a similar conversation, that regression offensively to the mean for the league, it's starting to show up for the Mets, and I don't think there's more important guys despite you know Conforto, Nimmo being out still, J.D. Davis, McNeil still being out. Even with those guys healthy, I think you still argue the three best or most important hitters on the team are Lindor, Alonzo, and Dom Smith. And those three guys are starting to cook, and this team is starting to look a little bit more dangerous. When you think about what this team can do, they're still sitting on top of the NL East with a bunch less games played than anyone else in the league. I think there's some reason to feel pretty good about the New York Mets. Do you, do you have to calm me down here? Not that I'm like freaking out about how good they're playing, but do you have to make me take a step back? Or are you even saying, hey, I'm with you. This team might push forward even better in the next couple weeks. Well, I think I think you have to think that you have to think that they're gonna they're gonna improve because, a Francisco Lindor's was was never gonna hit under two hundred, you know, for the whole season. Again, you might not have at the end of the year, his stat line might not look like the twenty nineteen version of himself, but obviously he's not gonna be, you know, once you once you bat under two hundred for two hundred plate appearance, you you're basically your whole year is uh your whole year stat line is kind of shot. But again, he, he wasn't going to do that all year. So if he ends up batting 230 at the end of the year, 240, I think you're going you're gonna to kind of look back in June and be like, wow, he, he really kind of turned around his season. And Alonzo and Don Smith are actually starting to hit a little with a little more pop. And, you know, Pete, Pete's been, you know, on base percentage has been, you know, pretty, pretty great. He's taking his walks, he's in for power. Uh, it's very important for those, for those three guys to get important. And I, and I like Nimmo and, and I think Conforto is probably – um the second best hitter on the team and and him being out um has been kind of uh you know it's, it's been tough for them and again the drop off from uh you know Conforter to Billy McKinney and Mason Williams is is uh is, is a pretty steep one um so you have to expect those guys coming back and uh, especially how great uh, Nemo was um for most of the season and best player him on the team that him, him being that leadoff guy um all the time and that high on base percentage that he had. So he was, uh, he was doing great and, you know, getting your, your, your second best hitter in the lineup back and McNeil who, you know, again, who wasn't really hitting so great, but again, you have to think that he rebounds and JD Davis has always been, you know, a solid contributor to the bat. You have to think the offense is going to continue to, you know, to improve and, and continue to kind of, kind of be that uh, top of the top of the league, top five offense at the, you know, the Mets were the last couple of years and, kind of what Met fans expected them to be going into the year. And you just have to kind of tip your hat to the Jonathan Villar types, um, you know, even McCann while, while the other bats are down, he's kind of stepped up a little bit. Um, again, numbers overall, not great, but I think in the last couple of weeks, he's really stepped up uh, and tried to fill in some holes, um, you know, and, and contribute offensively when, when needed and played, a, played a little first base, right? Didn't, didn't he play first base? A, yes. A game or two. So and know, his he's first ground ball, he, it was like a full stretch dive that he made the play. It was like, yeah. wow. How about that? Welcome to first base, James McCann. And people, and then, people were freaking out on Louis Rojas for that. They were really freaking out about it. <laughs> 
Hey man, if, if, like, what are you gonna do? Think, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of like the Aaron Boone thing from his first year when y'all had a hundred injuries and won ninety something games. People mm. were still hating on Aaron Boone. It's like, bro, what do you expect from this guy? I mean, everybody's hurt on the team. What do you want him to do? Luis Rojas is kind of the same thing. People are picking apart every single move he makes for the Mets team. It's like six starters are hurt and also three bench guys are hurt. What do you want him to do? Yeah, you know, like what are we supposed to do here? Like Tomas Nito was hitting well. And if you think about the best hitters we got, it might have to be including McCann playing first base for the first time in his life. It just is yeah. what it is, I feel like. And I feel like he's managed the book. I, I mean, you want to talk about offensively, you can't really control injuries, but I feel like if you want to talk to you about a strength of Luis Rojas, it's been it's been the bullpen and putting guys in situations where they can succeed. Miguel Castro has been such a such a, uh, a huge weapon and being that fireman guy out of the bullpen. And now the, now that uh, Seth Lugo is back, um, that bullpen just got even stronger. And Trevor May has been, you know, been doing really well and familiar doing familiar things almost as ERA under two. How about that? Um, I wouldn't expect that to continue. Um, but I Peach. mean, I think he's putting, he understands certain situations. Um, you know, and I think he under, has a really good feel for the bullpen and, uh, when to use certain guys. So I feel like he's he hasn't put Familia in position to uh, a sink or swim or a high leverage, as, as many high leverage spots as, as maybe he's been accustomed and maybe he's been kind of uh, blown up in the past. Uh, you know, so I, th- I think he's got a real good feel of the bullpen. So, um, and I, I think you have to tip your cap to him there. So I, you can't really put the offensive struggles on him, especially again, when we talked about offense being, down so much uh, across the league and the amount of injuries that the Mets have had, uh, you know, he's doing, he's doing the best with, uh, with what he's had. And, um, you know, I, I would, I would tip my cap to him. Yeah. And Mets fans are probably listening to this. Like you don't understand. Like he makes dumb moves all the time. Like, it's like, yeah, I understand some of the stuff he's doing feels really wonky, but there's not many other options. And if you do think back to one of the first podcasts we did, I think it was a week or like 10 days into the season, we talked about the ERA of the bullpen across the board, and it was like we got a four ERA on this guy, a six ERA on this guy. Now if you look at the the bullpen guys who actually matter, who have actually pitched a good chunk of innings here, like Trevor May is the guy with the worst ERA, and he just had a little blow-up where he blew the game against Dimebacks two days ago. So you know his numbers are maybe a little even more inflated right now. You look across, Diaz just blew his first save, 3.3 ERA. Castro under three. Familia, like you said, almost under two. Aaron Loop in the mid twos, Gaselman in uh, the the mid high twos, you know Drew Smith in limited innings, he's in the mid high twos. Like everybody across the board is doing their job more or less. And Seth Lugo coming back is absolutely ginormous because he used to pitch every single game for the Mets. So yep. y- you think about that, and then on top of it, you have a great run so far by Stroman this year. Taiwan Walker got banged up, but he's been awesome when he's on the hump this year. And Degrom is just freaking silly. It's just hilarious, actually. It's at this point, you don't even know what to do. You don't even know what to say about Jacob Degrom. I mean, a point seven ERA. My guy's batting four fifty. It's just, it's just laughable at this point. It, you, there's nothing else to say about how good that guy is. So the pitching staff, yeah. from that perspective, has been pretty fucking awesome. To excuse yeah. my French, like the hitting's been so bad, we're six games above five hundred because this pitching staff is coming out to play every single day. 
Yeah, and you know, and it's unfortunate that you know Syndergaard had his setback, and you know he's going to be shut down for another six weeks. So uh, maybe they rushed him back a little bit too much from you know from Tommy John. Uh, you know, so that's unfortunate. But Carrasco should be coming back soon. So there's more help. Come, there's there's so much help uh, in you know, on the pitching side and on the hitting side that's coming back. And the Mets are you know they have the largest division lead in baseball at the moment. So if there's there's again, you want to nitpick, and um, you know, again, I don't think anybody outside of like maybe like the Dodgers or um, you know somehow the San Francisco Giants are leading the league and run differential at the moment. I think those are the only teams that can really say, oh, their offense is doing really well, um, you know, in the league right now. Yeah, um, maybe the Cubs. Yeah, they've been hitting pretty Even good. Then, the, the run differential is only thirty eight. Right. You know, well, the, the, the Mets, Mets just right snuck over. And the Phillies, who are in second place right now, they have a minus 19 run differential, um, which is which is nuts. And the Braves, who uh, now uh, with uh, their their whole situation with Martha Ozuna, you know, their offense, which I wasn't the biggest fan of to begin with, they're minus seven. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not too I'm not too afraid. Uh, I, rightfully so. I like to. Uh, put a little feather in my cap there, not being so worried about the Braves. Again, we're, we're, we're still in June. It's still relatively early, but it's still a third of the season. The Mets have uh, a four and a half game lead in, in the division. So you, you have to be really happy and satisfied. Again, there are rooms for improvement. And I think um, there, the, the Mets deadline needs are, are a little less clear than I guess the Yankees are. Again, um, you're talking about guys that are all going to come back and, and all pretty relatively soon. I think, Maybe if you want to get another depth starter because Lucchese hasn't really worked out. I feel like he's the only starter that really has uh, struggled for the Mets. So maybe if you want to get another depth piece, if you're not confident in Syndergaard um, coming back or him being 100%, um, you know, but I think going into a potential postseason with DeGrom, Stroman, and Taiwan Walker, I think you have to feel, you have to feel pretty good. Yeah. So if it, maybe if there's one piece that the Mets would need, um, it's a it's another starting pitcher. But even then, uh, there's no alarming needs up and down this roster outside from just guys, you know, getting healthy. Right. And the last thing I'll add, and then we'll wrap up, in regards to the Mets and the Yankees kind of being a little bit in different camps right now, and it's the reason why we're able to speak with positivity, or at least one of the reasons why we were able to speak with more positivity for the Mets uh, and we're not feeling very positive about the Yankees right now is the energy and grit that the Mets are showing. I can talk about their OPS going from 24th to second in the past week. I can talk about the ERAs of all the pitchers on the team, but when it comes down to it, this team is fighting. They're fighting every single game. And Kevin Pillar really exemplified that as a solo act when he got smoked in the face by that fastball and came back with a bruised up face, a mask on while he was waiting for his fitted prosthetic uh, prosthetic to come in from the doctors or whatever. Uh, he wore one from over the counter and was out there pinch hitting, gets a hit, goes out in the field and he is grinding. And that is what the Mets team is giving you every single night. They're giving you that vibe of fight, that energy that they gave you in 2015 where they were never out and it's not quantifiable. But when you watch the team, you feel it and you see it. And when I'm watching the text come in from you and Alec about the Yankees, you feel and see not as much of that. You know, some of it, not going to say the Yankees are out here flat every single night. That would be incorrect. 
but they have been flat more often. They have more mistakes on defense and et cetera. And you think about the Mets and it's just grit, grind, attitude, and never giving up. And that's why we sit here today with positivity for the Mets and waiting for some juice to flow in the Bronx. Yeah. Uh, and I think you have to tip your cap to, to the manager for those situations. You know, uh, again, you're, you're talking about, uh, again, who was a rookie, uh, Rojas was a rookie manager last year, but it seems like to really have, the guys have really bought in in that room and on the other side of the of the field you know it seems like it's a it's it's a hard time for the yankees to you know to go out and i won't say that they're not motivated i'm sure guys want to do well but uh, yeah i think you really have to question at this point the coaching staff and and you know what their future is um again that's it sounds like a pretty dramatic statement for yeah, against a team that's six games above 500 on June 2nd, but it's just the reality of the situation where um, just guys aren't playing up to the potential and we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But uh, if this, if this continues, especially offensively and especially for these homegrown guys where you have so much home, you know, so much expectations for, uh, if they continue to flat, I think you really have to question what the future is of not only Aaron Boone, but Marcus Timms and um, PJ, um, uh, forget his last name, but the, the, the other assistant hitting coach, um, you have to all kind of question what the future for them, uh, in the organization is. Yeah. And that, I think that's a good place to end there. So good stuff by you, Andrew, as always a pleasure to talk baseball and basketball with you as well. Good, good talking hoops with you. You did the hoops. Proud. Hey, Mama uh, made it. I yeah, did it. Let's go. Let's go. And, uh, you know, next week we'll come back with another episode as the round ones across the NBA start to finish up. We have incredible series going on right now uh, against, well, not maybe not many incredible series. We have N incredible series with the Nuggets and the Blazers. If you saw that Dame Lillard versus Jokic performance the other night, oh my God, that was baffling the entire time. The Lakers still have a chance to make a nice comeback. I'm not exactly sure. I'll try to look it up as we speak what's going on with the Clippers and Mavericks currently why we why we record this episode uh, but as round two comes into play we have exciting series the bucks and the nets sounds very exciting the hawks and sixers like i mentioned if no Embiid's not there can get a little frisky and in the western conference pretty much every series across the board is going to be damn interesting so basketball coming up again next week as always we'll be checking in you know at, at least every other week on baseball it's a little tough with the nba playoffs going on but we'll be talking baseball throughout the rest of the season, of course, and football will be here before we know it. Great episode, as always. Andrew Kalania, thank you to you. My name is Pete Kennedy. This has been Subway Sports Talk. Have a great day, everybody. Cheers. See ya.